Hey, hey, y'all. I'm Stephanie, and Black education has never responded to, supported, nor honored the full cultural being of what being Black in America is. The education of Black scholars has been consistent in perpetuating Eurocentric beliefs and ideas. No cap, Steph. Hey, y'all. I'm Amber, and as an educator of Black students, we seriously need a place to ensure that all educators of Black scholars are versed in the full being of their students. We're We're Root of the Matter. Root of the Matter is a community where educators of Black and Brown scholars reflect on history, challenge current constructs, and support each other in being the best they can be for their scholars. We are a community rooting teachers in what really matters. Now let's get to rooting, y'all. Black people hate, put your fist up high. You're a king, you're a queen, you are great by design. Black people hate, put your fist up high. You'll achieve anything if you use your mind. Welcome back, y'all. Welcome back to another episode. Hey! We are recording our episode for desegregation today. So thank you for joining us. Um, as you know, we always start with our temperature check, which is our do now. Um, I have been, for me, for my temperature check, I've been feeling a little, you know, kind of ratch. So, um, <laughs> my song is The Box by Roddy Rich. It just hey, gets me high. that go, it do. Yeah, it gets me high, get me lip, 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 <laughs> goodness. And, um, yeah, so that's my song. Um, you know, I had to take it back to hometown because... I'm a Warriors fanatic, so we keeping it real, super hypey, keep the sneak, you know, me, check me out, look it up, Bay Area lingo. Um, that's just my vibe right now. I'm really happy and proud to be from Oakland, and I got to put on for my city. Um, and we also have a special guest with us on this episode, uh, Frederick Robinson. We're going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself, as well as give us your temperature check on today. All right, all right. Appreciate y'all having me on. My name is Frederick Robinson, also Fred, also Rob. Uh, pick your choice. I am an educator for high school. This is going to be my sixth year coming up, Morehouse grad uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. And my temperature check is King's Dead by J-Rock featuring Kendrick Lamar, Future, and James Blake. This is from the Black Panther soundtrack. Uh, you ain't really wild. You a tourist. <laughs> keep that same energy. I appreciate y'all having me on. For show, for show. So our question of the day um, is a reflection, actually, right? Um, so here is what it is. It says, I heard someone say kids are just different these days. I disagree. Kids are the same. What's changed is a society with lowered expectations, lack of discipline, and acceptance of disrespect. Mm. Giving kids boundaries, expectations, rules, limits, rewards, and consequences they will rise to the challenge and exceed your expectations every time. Uh, we got this from Lessons Taught by Life on Insta. Uh, so shout out to you. Do you agree or disagree? We're going to kick it off to our guests first. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I will, can I do both? <laughs> you do whatever floats your boat. I, my kids do that to me. Can we choose both? <laughs> no, you can't. So I'll keep that same energy. Um, but I can't, I think I'm going to say disagree just to start stirring the pot. I'm going to say disagree. Um, I only say disagree because everybody is different, whether it be generationally or not. Um, you have some kids where the rule 
rules that you have, the expectations that you have might have to be different for them based on, you know, limits, rewards, consequences. Everybody, what's the, the statement? The one size doesn't fit all. So I'm just worried about the students who, or the kids who just can't get within the margins of whatever, you know, expectations that you put out there. Sometimes you got to bend. Sometimes you have to meet them where they are. Um, I do like the accountability of this um, this status, though, or this post. Uh, but I'm going to take the disagree side. Okay, disagree. Go ahead, Steph. Let us know. Okay, so I'm going to say I agree with the post. I But I also agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking... Just like how we are as teachers, we don't just teach one way and make sure that every student gets it. Mm-hmm. We can set boundaries, expectations, and rules, and it may look different for a different student. So, mm-hmm. still setting those boundaries and rules, and when they reach that boundary or rule, you give them a new one. Mm-hmm. That's the rewards and consequences. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, you're not gonna give a student who is an A plus student that follows all the rules the same as so-and-so who is the kid we love the most. You're not going to give them the same ones, but you're still going to set boundaries and expectations for them. Yeah. So I agree with you with saying it looks different for everybody else, Mm -hmm. but I agree with the statement saying that still boundaries and expectations need to be met. Mm -hmm. Mm. I agree. And I agree with the first statement that kids are different. Um, I think it's important that us as educators or those that they look up to um, don't put on the youth the same experiences um, that we had as youth. You know, this is a different day and age. They have different vices to deal with um, and stuff, just like they have different systems to respond to, too. It's a lot of similarities, but they're different. And I think once we recognize them as being different, we can actually start to see um, the things we want to happen. We can give them the boundaries, but you know, I think about all the time and I'm guilty of this. I'll be like, you know, when I was a kid, my mom, this and my mom, that, and like now I always have to like take a step back. Cause it's like, they also don't have the same type of structures that we have, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the same issues that we had. So. I definitely agree. And I also agree with what y'all are saying, though, in terms of, like, giving different boundaries and that differentiation for students is super important, super important. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Because I've been in classrooms and there were no boundaries set. (laughs) You could tell. And I've been in classrooms where there are boundaries set and you can tell. Yeah. What do you do for those students who push those boundaries? The consequences. But it's like, again, the consequences will be different for said student. Like one student, they are they process through writing. So your consequences write down and process what happened mm-hmm. and you need to recognize what you did mm-hmm. to do A, B, C, X, Y, Z. Another student may respond in action. So going to help another teacher do A, B, C, X, Y, Z, or you can't go to recess, so now you have to do this or mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Different um, consequences. No, for sure. And I think an important part, though, um, is making sure kids, not even just kids, but everyone knows the expectations of boundaries before anything can occur. You know, reasons why they always say, like, your first week in the classroom, it's important that you, you know, 
develop your community culture. Because it's not just me as an authoritarian telling you what it is and what it's not. Right. But it's us agreeing on, like, this is the culture of our community. These are the expectations that we're going to have in this learning environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're open and upfront, kids are more responsive to following them and dealing with the consequences that come thereof. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but today's episode, um, we're still in our season of black education in the American system. Today, we're going to focus on desegregation. Um, Our timeline, you know, is from 1867 to 1968. So those will be the years we're going to be covering. Um, You know, our guest didn't give a lot of background, but he's into history, um, which we thought was fitting to have him on today's show. Um, We wanted to focus on black education during this time period, looking at three specific domains. Um, thinking about what happened in the political legal arena um, and how did that in- impact from a systemic standpoint mm-hmm. um, and then thinking about like socially how does us as a community start to wrap around ourselves um, and start to make change happen on that more local communal level and then lastly you know we had some dope ass leaders during that time mm-hmm. you know um, and so how did those leaders imp- or spark change in our community Um, moving forward and stuff. So, our first arena, domain, politically, you know, there's a lot of laws happening um, and stuff. You want to give us some background on that? Yeah, let's get into it. Um, So, starting off, um, before we get into desegregation, let's talk about segregation and what's going on. So, Emancipation Proclamation goes out 1863. Uh, about 1865, the Civil War is won from the North. Um, and then you have something where you get the Ku Klux Klan rising up. Um, Jim Crow laws are starting to happen. Reconstruction is starting to happen. By 1896, um, you have the Plessy versus Ferguson case, which is uh, mainly talking about this concept of separate but equal, which is really, um, to me, are some... Um, Cold words for we don't really want you over here. <laughs> as long as we don't really want you over here, so it's like you can do your own thing. Just don't bother us about it. But the it's it's a lie in between that because although they were separate, there was nothing equal about it. Um, when it came to um black civil rights, when it came to education, mm-hmm. politics, voting, mm-hmm. um being able to eat in a restaurant. Can we cut? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, in, in a restaurant. So um, it, it really kicks off on paper in 1896. And we had this conversation, Stephanie and I, um, a little earlier about, well, when did segregation really like start and stop? Um, I say on paper with Plessy versus Ferguson, they're actually going against the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment is saying um, it's giving rights uh, to citizens to a fair trial. So if you are a citizen, you are due a fair trial um, in the court of law. Plessy versus Ferguson goes and says, well, hold on, wait a minute. Um, As long as it's sanctioned. So if you have a private business, if you have restaurants, if you have a school, as long as those people say, hey, we don't want this type of person here, then they're saying it's legit. So they throw the whole law to the side and they come up with this new concept of separate but equal, which I like I said, it's kind of like a you know, a difference of words where it's like, okay, we, we're trying to be progressive, but we're actually really not. Yeah, we don't get, give a freak. Yeah. Like, we don't care. We don't care That's about y'all. That's some shicey stuff, you know. Uh, 
That's what Yeah, it always goes back to like a, a what's it called? Two steps forward, four back, and everything. You see that a lot of times with our ancestors in this country. I mean, hell, even today, it's like we always get a little bit of progression and then we just get thrown back a couple of steps and we just keep coming up to different levels of um, just this fight for, for black freedom. You know, when I always hear about Plessy versus Ferguson, mm-hmm. tongue twister for me, um, I think about how you didn't want us to be in your arena. Mm-hmm. But you didn't give us full control over our arena. Uh-oh. That's what I was thinking. You I was know? trying to formulate my thoughts, and you just said <laughs> and, it. Okay. And like, and that's where I get stuck because I'm like, here is this law to say, you know, how much we we have to be separate. But even in our separatism, you know, you still try to manage what I can and can't do. Exactly. And like, sorry, go ahead. No, go. You good? So like, that's what I was sitting here thinking. I'm just like processing everything, but it's like. You wanted us to be separate, but then still come over to where I'm living, where where I'm having my business, and disrupt everything. Mm-hmm. Because I was, one, doing better than you, two, um, minding my business. And because mm-hmm. you were thinking that we were, well, you, they were thinking that we were trying to, like, rise up or whatever. They wanted to sit up there and try and um, push us back. Like, thinking about Tulsa... And even like, I mean, this is way further behind. Mm, not going to go there. But even thinking about like Tulsa, how they went and burned everything down because black people were minding their business mm-hmm. and they wanted to take it away from us. Yeah, it's a weird thing. The housing segregation, uh, we're not going to allow you to live over here so you can't get these resources. I think that's the biggest thing. It's, it's about resources and mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, when you place, it's not so much that being segregated was the problem. I think if you talk to any black person back then, be like, do you really want to be in a room full of white folks? Do you really want that? They probably be like, no, but they want the opportunity that comes from yeah. white society. They want the resources. We want the upward mobility. We want the jobs. We want to be able to live. You know, we want to be able to send our kids to school and not worry about them um, coming home. We're still facing that today. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we, we, you know, we want the opportunities, resources is less the what, what I get a problem with, with the conversation of segregation and desegregation is this whole notion that black people just wanted so much to be around white people when that's not really the case. We just wanted the actual equal <clears throat> rights that weren't given to right. us, you know? So right. you say separate, but equal, but quiet is kept and loud is told. It wasn't equal. Right. So, right. We just wanted to be seen. Mm-hmm. Like, we wanted to be recognized as a person, as a human. human. Right, right. Because right. I think about, like, my inclusion, like, legally, right? Mm-hmm. My inclusion in your entities, your businesses, your schools, your communities wasn't about me trying to take from you. Right. And it had nothing to do with me fearful of you and your culture, for whatever that is. <laughs> but it had everything to do with, like, I need to provide, you know, mm-hmm. and I want this notion of what America says it can provide. Yep. If slavery is over, if I am now recognized as part of your community, should I not be covered under your laws? Yes. Yes. That's the whole big question right there. You, they can't see my hands, but watch my hands. <laughs> you, you, you liberate a group of people who have worked for, for free 
um, for what three hundred plus years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you liberate them <clears throat> under on you know on paper at least, and now you don't know what to do with them. You you're like okay, well we'll write it in paper, but how do you get the people to actually go along with what you're writing on paper? Which gets into our policies. And what you see during this time period of, what are we, 1868, 1867 to mm-hmm. 1968? That is literally a century worth of resistance and fighting. And, and honestly, just white America, white folks, keeping black people down, keeping mm-hmm. people of color down um, through all these different policies. I don't want to get ahead of the um, itinerary, but we'll get into some of those different policies, um, court cases, um just all these things, black codes, Jim Crow laws, you know, you have Emmett Till, you have Brown versus Board of Education, all of these different things that just, even though it's on paper, is not really happening socially, which, mm-hmm. we, which we look at. Because mm-hmm. I think about, um, like you said, Brown versus Board of Education, which ultimately overturned Plessy versus Ferguson mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. integrate schools. I think about the Heart of Atlanta Motel versus the United States in 1964, mm-hmm. which pretty much said private businesses, you also have to abide by civil rights. Like, you can't exclude. And so, like, these laws, they seem to happen towards the end of desegregation, you know, um, yeah. after we had some prominent figures. But it took time of having to, like, continuously fight which is, you know, the plight of, I guess, black Americans. Right. You know, having to fight for what we deserve mm-hmm. and then getting it after how much life has lost, how much blood has been shed, mm-hmm. you know? How much of the culture of black people have been, what's the word I'm looking for? Abused, lost. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> appropriated, you know, Appropriated. <laughs> and, you know, everybody want to be black, so it's time to be black. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm looking at all these different things. Uh, but I, I also back to the resource, um, point, um, I think what kind of put us in a, on the winning side is when we started boycotting and looking at that movement, um, you know, started with, uh, you know, your SNCC, SEL, uh, SLCL, um, you know, these kids, I mean, kids, you know, going to the freedom riders going around. Um, and challenging the status quo, sitting in restaurants, uh, Ruby Bridges, you know, going to these different schools, Little Rock Nine. Um, you have all of these different acts of resistance. But when we start talking about that money and taking away that money from the community, them folks was like, oh, wait a minute. Hey, wait a minute. That's when they want to do something. That's when they want to do something. Mm-hmm. America's built on power, money. Go on top of that. Let me, yeah, let me go out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, once that's taken away from them, that's when they feel, oh, we got to do something about it to make to appease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to dig in there, though. We started, you you alluded to, like, these student activists, right? Mm-hmm. And we said, like, leaders played a prominent part in desegregation. And as educators, um, I think it's important that we shed light on student activism, you know, and how, how many uprisings, how many boycotts, mm-hmm. how many just actions, period, were, one, motivated by students, and how many students were engaged in them, you know? Yeah, it was a whole thing. Uh, I mean, you had these people out here, our ancestors out here getting hosed down, um, beaten, you know, fear of the Klan. Um, you had... You said what? Hung. Some people hung. still getting hung, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still today. Man was lynched yesterday, son. Um, 
this is really crazy. I'm thinking like Thurgood Marshall, his um, mm-hmm. you know, his expertise when it came to Brown versus Board. Edgar um, Megger Evers. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I was I'm wrong. with you. I'm with you. Um, all of these people, it's it's crazy. Byard Rustin. Um, you know, I try to strike. I try to stay away from Martin Luther King, but you know, that <laughs> you know those uh, you know, all of these people. Um, but it's really the kids for me. Like that is crazy. Like Joe Lewis was a kid back when it was going down. Um, you know, just out in the street, Bloody Sunday. I I really want to talk about Bloody Sunday, and I don't. I try not to give. I think there was a moral argument that happened on Bloody Sunday when people saw it televised um, mm-hmm. and read about it, and you're actually seeing um, these people get beat in the street. A lot of the country was not paying attention; they're just ignorant, mm-hmm. especially in you know the more I guess you would call them blue states, even though they're like you know some still racist undertones going on. But when they saw Bloody Sunday, you saw these church folks. Um, getting, you know, beat uh, by police. You saw these older folks, these kids. Um, I think it did something and kind of pushed it up a little bit. But it was kids. It was it was those same kids. Like, back to our um, y'all opening with the kids and, you know, the disrespect. Kids been stepping on it. You know, they've uh-huh. been going against those norms. Um, so, I'm just, I'm really proud to, to know that history and to have come from something like that. That type of resistance. So, I have a question. Um, you made me think. Like, we talk about kids. Okay, we started this episode, um, and our question was talking about, like, boundaries and expectations for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the same instance, we're now yet praising kids for breaking those boundaries. You know, Mm -hmm. and for going against the grain. Mm -hmm. So, how do you... Like, present day, I know we're supposed to be talking about desegregation, but how do you present day support kids to have the mentality that those youth during the time of desegregation had in the lens of, you know, where we are now? Okay, so, um, how I'm thinking about it is, like, thinking about it as a psychological standpoint, in order to have those boundaries for kids, they're learning how to how to restrain, when to restrain, and when not to restrain. Mm -hmm. So giving them those boundaries, they're learning how to do certain things. But they're also given that moral code of when things are right and when things are wrong. Mm -hmm. So if they're seeing that this person's getting beat in the street Mm -hmm. or getting choked to death, that's wrong. So that's when they should go against the grain and fight for what's right. Mm -hmm. So that's how I'm looking at it as it's a moral code they're seeing what the issue is, and then they need to address it, even though the rest of the country, quote unquote, may be seeing it as it's okay. That's interesting. I like that point. Um, I love the question too. So I have two things to say on that. One, I feel like the kids we teach know that they're black in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is due to where they live. I think that is due to who they interact with. I think it's due to what they see in their environment, um, conversations, relationships they have with law enforcement. I think our kids for the most part, know their identity or what identity is placed upon them in this country. But there's also like a weird irony going on here. And taking it back to segregation and this thing, although our people 
but you know what? I could have been wrong when I said that. You might have talked to some black people back then. You'd be like, hey, do you really want to be in a room with white folks? And some of them might have said, yeah, I do. You know, um, and that's how white supremacy works. It, you know, recruits um, all of these different people, just not white people. So when we did desegregate, the issue that's going on here um, is now black people want not just want the resources white people have. We also want to be like white folks. We also want to operate in the same type of institutional, you know, space with the same mm. institutional you know, like we're going about it. So we, I'm not going to get into HBC just yet, <laughs> but it's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. It's coming. Um, but the, the issue with that, I would say, is when it comes to seeing how kids should fight nowadays, it's hard because we are teaching them how to be a part of the system, which our ancestors are like, okay, we want the resources, but it's still... You can't just have what's the statement? You can't have your cake and eat it too, or something like that. So it's Shoot, like, but I'm the re Antoinette. I'm eat the whole cake. <laughs> you know, listen, and oh so you like, okay, I want our own space. I want the resources. Cool, 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 cool. But our curriculum is white. Our thinking is white. Our philosophy yeah. is white. Um, our standardized our principles, testing is white. Our standardized so, testing is white. What I've been thinking while you've been saying, like while you've been talking, is there's some people who think that if we assimilate. Mm-hmm then we can have a seat at the table and they will see us as a person who like just like them yep. so that's i feel like that's the mindset that some black people have like let's learn the way that they learn do the things that they do so that we can be at the table with them mm-hmm. and make these decisions and change these laws right so do you think then that desegregation was a form of assimilation and came from that Ooh. um Give me a second. <laughs> now you can go first. Okay, I got first. I would say yes and no, and I think it depends on who you ask. I think uh-huh. it depends on who you talk to. So let's take into my Morehouse brother into account. I guess we'll talk about King here and there. Um, I really try not to talk about <laughs> King respectfully. You know, it's just he's just such a common, you know, uh, whatever. But anyway, Martin Luther King, e- even in all of his, um, you know, marches, his his protests, his sermons, his preaching, you know, all of that thing. He came back to it at the end of his life, and he had a a quote that said, um, and I think he got this from somebody, but he said, I fear that we're integrating our people into a burning house. Um, So you're fighting for all of these equitable rights. You're fighting for the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act. Um, But when you really think about it, it's like how close or how integrated with this society, do we want to integrate into a society that never saw us as humans? You know, never saw our forefathers, our foremothers as humans and literally use their labor to build this oasis and this paradise for themselves. Do we really want to to go in that? So when it comes to desegregation, I think it's kind of hard because if you are living in, if you can't get out of this space you're living in, your children can't get educated, you can't get better jobs, um, you have to live, you know, with this fear of looking over your life. You don't really have a choice but to go and knock on the door and be like, "Hey, I I need something better. What you gave me is not is not giving what it's supposed to give. Yeah. I need better." Um, but at the same time, when they open the door, you kind of open yourself up to get sucked into that doctrine. So it goes back to that whole, you know, like you were saying, was segregation? I'm sorry, desegregation the right move? I think yes and no because we wouldn't be able to get these opportunities without but at the same time as we're bringing that baggage too so it's it's kind of weird you know you made me think about like Du Bois and his talent and tip mm-hmm. and how like with that whole idea was our people those who are intellectual and in, in the upper echelon mm-hmm. should be making a way 
for the rest of our people, mm-hmm. you know, to get on this journey. And if that, because I think in like contrary to desegregation, what if now we premise segregation to say, okay, excellent people in our community, like we're going to follow you. You educate us. You give us the tools and the trades and the skills to now perform so then we can build those things, mm-hmm. you know. We can be comparable to what our white counterparts are doing, but we've established our own. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're still having the same conversation now right. with this whole, after all of these, you know, killings of black lives, um, whether it is separatism or assimilation and inclusion. Like, do we want to sit at a table or do we create our own table to then sit at? And do we take our own leaders you know, to define what that looks like for us. So, what I'm thinking of is, I mean, me personally, my mind has changed over the years. I personally just think that it should be separate. Um, and You're not the only one, sis. Yeah. You ain't the only one. <laughs> I used to be like, no, assimilate, assimilate. Like, we can do this. Like, we can right. all be one. But it's like, as much as like, especially since 2020, it's just been too much happening to um, black and brown people. And at this point, it's like, let's just let's just go about our ways. <laughs> we tried, nice, great, all right, now you do you, I do me, but one thing that I'm fearful of is, again, because we know they know that we are elites, um, <laughs> they're gonna come and try and do things, because they always like to butt their nose in something. I'm sorry, Karen, I'm sorry, Ken, but y'all like to butt y'all nose in things, so it's like, you're going to come and try and do something, say something, say we're doing something wrong, mm-hmm. and then here we go again. Yeah, I, I love that point because um, I was thinking, <sighs> I agree with you, but so actually I'm going to say this, but I might disagree with myself as I say it, but I, I'm feeling compelled to say it. How do, if we want to be separate, so here's the here's the problem, you know, my math teachers, here's the, here's the, here's the problem. <laughs> We want our own thing over here, but yet these folks are going to come and put their nose in in Uh our issues like you just said. So the thing about it, uh, Cal Rittenhouse was, what, 18, 19? Mm -hmm. The kid, essentially kid, Mm -hmm. right? Racism is not going anywhere. White Mm -hmm. folks are still teaching their kids the ways of the world for which, you know, they were taught and has benefited them. So if we don't segregate and and show them some sort of like, hey, we're not this narrative that you've been produced or, to, you know, been taught to think, then how do we get rid of that? If you want to go or you want me to finish? Go ahead. I'm going to let you finish. Because <laughs> I know you was ready. I'm ready. So because so, I have a couple of working theories on this, but I think we've tried that. And it hasn't. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. we've tried it, right? We can go to the grocery store, see a white person. We eat. Um, and that doesn't work. So it's like if they're not going to see our humanness through desegregation when we're living in the same places, we're going to the same schools, even though the data and the stats are differently, if we don't, if they're not going to give into this stuff where we desegregate it, how do we get past this? Can we really live over somewhere else and they not come over and do something about it is what I'm saying. Have, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. And that's that's how I've been thinking. Like, so for me, how I see this separation happening um, is, and it's not even really separate. That's the, that's the crazy part. Okay. So like, for example, if I want to go to Publix, 
I'm gonna go to public. I don't care if I see a white person there. Yeah. But I can also go to these black-owned spaces, and I can also go to these white-owned spaces if I feel like it. The same for them, but it is like, for example, the Village Market. Mm-hmm. That's a black-owned space. Hella black people are going in there, but there are white people going there at the same time. But that's our space. Right. I can go to a school that's all black kids. Like, it's separate. We're all doing our own thing. But if I want to go into that space, I can. There shouldn't be any issues or problems. Does that make sense? Are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that we should? We what's it called? Not marginalize, but we should. I hate using this word. We should police which people come into our communities. <laughs> So no, we're weird. not policing. I, it, it, I get what you're saying. It's not that I'm saying you can't come. Uh-huh. You're welcome to come. But this is our space. And and my caution with that is they didn't give us that privilege. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was just they didn't allow us to walk into their spaces. They made it hell on high water for us to be included even in the conversation, mm-hmm. let alone Seated being physically in, in the building. And so when I think about... I'm definitely like, we need to start our own shit, do our own thing. Um, And I think that takes time, but I also think that takes us coming together as a community, Mm -hmm. which is like a whole nother episode because I don't think as a black community, we're willing to come together. Um, And I think that's where this, anywho, you know, that's just where my thoughts um, run and lie with that. And I'm all for us taking our own. I think um, we started to do that when you start thinking about like HBCUs Mm -hmm. and you think about like the social aspect, like there are these leaders started to rise up in our community and they started to to make movements, you know, MLK, March on Washington, you know, um, the NAACP, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the NCAT students, all of that. Like you had people who started movements that really made an impact on our community and one of my, my like alma mater, you know, Howard and HBCU, like those were foundational, I think, for blacks to start making the movements to be separate um, and to start to get that because, you know, with access, with knowledge comes access mm-hmm. and you have the ability to make change. Um, it doesn't require you to, but you now have more tools than prior to. That's really interesting with the HBCUs because a lot of these um, were started, of course, financially from white folks. That's Uh, fine. We can use their dollars. We can use their (laughs) dollars, but I'm worried about if how much of the intellectual side are we using. You have, I don't know, what's his name? Harold Cruz wrote um, The Crisis with the Black Intellectual, uh, I think back in the 60s. Um, and his whole argument there was from the talented Tim perspective, which mm-hmm. I don't like. Any, any, I don't like that at the end of the day, but I'm a, I'm a, you know, whatever. Um, but the talented Tim theory that 10% of the community will become the leaders and kind of, you know, pull us up from the mud, if you will. I don't like that. Cause I feel like it's exclusion. It's exclusion, exclusionary, um, a little bit, but I get it kind of like what Du boys and the, you know, folks from his generation were getting it. But these HBCUs, you know, mine too, Morehouse, 1867, um, you know, a lot of these institutions are still white-minded. So I'm wondering, do we want to be separate 
with a different mindset of Americanness, or do we want to be um, separate with the same American mindset? Like, do we want to just be have our own space, but it's still an American space, or do we want something apart from that? You know, if we're gonna do these black spaces. Go ahead. But I think, okay, so I think that takes us back to the question of assimilation or not. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we take any ideology of Americanism, that mm-hmm. is not us. Mm-hmm. You know, American was founded on the rape of black culture mm-hmm. in all forms and fashion. Right. And so for us to step away means we have to fully step away. Right. And walk in what black looks like for us. Because I think a lot of us, you know, are still, we're still fighting to find our identities. And we've, we've come to these, like, comfort plateaus to be like, oh, I'm a member of the African diaspora. Or, oh, I'm <laughs> black. Is. Or, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a, like, there's all these different ways to describe us because we don't truly know. And I think when we step away from America and we say, like, Bump this idea of desegregation, segregation. Mm-hmm. We about to just go be us. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we'll start to see some of those differences that we want. Um, and I think there will be an inclusion that we haven't had prior to. Yeah, that's something. Is, mm-hmm. Are white folks allowed in that space? No. No. But I was, you, you, had, uh, you were talking about HBCUs and like white. And I looked up real quick like stats. Um, and so they said HBCUs, 56% of faculty members are African-American or black. Okay. Um, and then after that, 24% whites are the next. And so that had me thinking, you know, what you were talking about of what does our education at HBCUs look like mm-hmm. if we are founded on whites um, and stuff. And I challenge more black people to get into education so that we can educate ourselves because I think that's where that answer comes from. Instead of blaming somebody else for educating us, mm-hmm. like, I don't think it's our responsibility to go and educate anybody else about us. Right, right, right. So I think we also need to step up and start educating our own selves about us and the, the avenues we desire to take in traveling. Okay, so this is like kind of going off script, but you're saying it's like our responsibility to educate ourselves about us. Whose responsibility is it to educate everyone else about us? Because everyone else has been educating their peers about us and have been getting it wrong. So whose responsibility is to is it to correct that? Good question. Um, white allies, I would say. I don't feel comfortable telling members of the oppressed class to further teach the oppressor anymore i can't get behind that but we've seen white allyship here and there whether it's been warranted or not um (laughs) we've seen it um i would say them because i feel like they're gonna listen to one of their own before they listen to one of us almost definitely um you know but i still i love your question because i it's very complicated um i i can't say us i'm i'm gonna see what amber has to say in terms of, I mean, they can. I also have this viewpoint. I don't care if you know about me or not. I care less. Okay. You can think whatever you want to think because your ignorance is not my responsibility. Okay. Right? Word. 
at ultimately, it was my responsibility to learn about European history if I want to pass that European test. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if I am saying, and again, I'm just speaking for self. If I am saying that I matter as a black individual, my black babies are going to know about themselves. Right. And they're going to be able to stand up in whatever arena to communicate. Now, if white Lily don't know them, they're going to be able to articulate themselves to say, either you're going to figure out me or you're going to go your own way. But I'm not going to take on the ownership of trying to educate you while I also still have to stand in a system that doesn't respect me. Mm-hmm. So while I might educate 10 kids, you know, we just watched uh, Instagram on that nine-year-old splatting all of these racial, you know, ideologies and principles. Mm-hmm. I can't go everywhere and I ain't going to Iowa. Damn sure. <laughs> so, shout out to Shamika. Shout out to Shamika, the only black person I know from Iowa. So, Man. but you know, in addition to HBCUs, you also had D nines. Yeah. You know, you had organizations that started to take on this ownership of building up our community. You know. Mm-hmm. That that's interesting. Um, the thing I just keep going back to this, that especially that nine year old. Um, we need to drop the link for that video. But um, I think the context is this, this nine-year-old white girl was upset about a Black Lives Matter flag yeah. outside mm-hmm. her school. Or no, something. it was a poster of uh, Black Lives Matter, and she told the principal to take it down. Uh-huh. And the principal, because some some court whatever said that there's no more Black Lives Matter or any political. Uh, paraphernalia in schools anymore Mm -hmm. and she told the principal to take it down she was like but if you look in the corner whatever court system that was they made the sign Mm -hmm. so she was upset because she was like you're basically contradicting yourself but people need to know about this stuff so it's like you're getting upset about us saying that black lives matter because it does you know what i think what (laughs) white students need to go to hbcus HBCUs no. should be for white. They should be for white folks. Now I will say though, like in my program. Oh, I don't know if this is bad. Whatever, I care less. State or in my program, no at Howard. Oh, okay. At my HBCU, my alma mater, where I got my undergrad from. Shout out to us, March second, eighteen sixty-seven. Um, I had a white guy in my class. So I was an architecture major. We were a very knit cohort. It was one white male and everybody else was black. Everybody else was black. Um, and it's backwards for me, but it was definitely touchy in the sense that, like, even though he was around us for four years, mm-hmm. the respect as a black woman or a black man never evolved to what it was. Interesting. Even through our transparency. Even through our, like, just random candor, like, it never grew beyond that. Like, there were things that were said, and it was like, if that, if I were a white individual, would you still say that or have those same assumptions? Mm -hmm. Like, even in year five. Um, So, I don't know. You made me think about that, like, them coming to us, because that exposure. He didn't have any allies, and he still found a way to make us uncomfortable in our comfortability spot. Here's my question. What was his, did he ever say what his purpose was for coming there? Good question. I mean, it was near home. It was near home. You know, he took the train every day. 
I mean, Howard's a great school. He knew about what well, you. He knew it was an HBCU. You know, and he continued. He ultimately, I think he transferred in too. If I want to be right, because he didn't start with us first year. He came in second year. I mean, I love the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I still have respect for him. But we, and that's why I also liked my village that I developed at Howard. Mm-hmm. We were very open and transparent about how ignorant he was. Right. Right. Um, but that didn't stop us from us being us. That's interesting. So with that, so one question, and you probably don't know this. We don't have him here with us, but I'm wondering if he took any courses that would challenge that perspective. And to well, actually, that's that's the only question. And you, you know, it's a rhetorical question because you probably don't know. But I'm wondering because I think with the point of what you're saying is I'm hearing that. Just being in our space isn't enough, and I agree. Just being in an all-black space isn't enough for white people just to see our humanity. Um, but I'm wondering if we have to take it a step further. Um, but in that sense, it would be black people teaching white people. He right? took African American studies. He took African. He took what? black women in architecture. So I mean, it's not to say that he wasn't exposed. Oh wow! So then, this I mean, oh, I don't wow. know. I know that he took those classes because one is required uh-huh. part of those. But oh, I see. we also only, I, I don't know. I can't speak on it. But then I think about there was um, an Asian guy who was a year above us. Mm-hmm. Um, and his fellowship and growth, like now having what? I'm eight years out of school. Oh, shit, I'm old. <laughs> but... <laughs> No. <laughs> Both of them, I follow on social media. Mm-hmm. The Asian guy still has a strong black community around him. Okay. You know, he just went and got his doctorate in Hawaii. He had black friends from Howard show up. My white friend who was in my cohort, mm-hmm. I have not seen him around black people in social media at all. And in my friend group, nobody talks to him for real, for real. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes me wonder, like, what was the intent and purpose in coming? You mm-hmm. know, that's yeah. We, we you know we have similar situations at Morehouse. We we uh, we had a white guy in African American studies too. That's what I got my degree in, um, my BA. Um, but he seemed more allyish. Mm-hmm. On you know he seemed to have a little bit more social sense. Um, cultural understanding. So it's interesting. Maybe it's just different for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I think the largest point is that just being in a black space is not enough. Yeah. Um, But I'm I'm trying to, I don't know, tipping the scale. I'm with you though, Amber, when you say I don't really care what these people think about me because honestly, they're going to think whatever they think. It goes back to respectability politics. They hung black people in suits. It doesn't matter what you're wearing. They're going to hang you or think that you deserve to be hung no matter what you do, yeah. whether you're educated or whether you're not. Um, so it's this whole thing with, you know, going back to the the, the episode of the hour being desegregation. Um, you know, we are on paper desegregated, but how much of that is, is really a social sense no matter how hard black people are fighting? In dece- um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, in this talk, it's making me think about, I don't care if they're in these spaces, and I feel like, I'm I'm nervous about saying allies should teach them. What's up? Um, because that's where the idea of, like, appropriation comes from. They're, te- like, they're teaching them 
what may not be true sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's what scares me. Um, mm. Like, I'm thinking about, like, even, I had to look up her name, Rachel um, Donzel, Donzel, whatever her name is. Donzel? Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I know who you're talking about. She, that's the one who painted herself. Yeah. yeah. And was, like, a whole president of NAACP. Like, yeah. Like, you you did a lot, baby girl. Um, so, like, and where did you learn that from? You grew up in the state of Washington. So, it's like, you learned this from someone who must have, like, I'm just assuming. Maybe you must have learned this from someone who, was, who considered themselves an ally. Went across the country to go to an HBCU. Still didn't learn, because clearly, you done messed up. Mm-hmm. And then now have come back and you are portraying yourself as someone that you're not and that's what bothers me about it because somebody mm-hmm. down the road did not tell her that she was not doing the right thing mm-hmm. they kept telling her that this is right this is what you should do to be able to embrace yourself into this culture and so i have questions that's crazy because this has me thinking okay um if how do i say this not shine. <laughs> it's gonna come back. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. If I am, what'd you say? She was talking about Rachel Dolezal. Right. An ally. And people teaching them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I am teaching white people how to accept us, who then do I put in charge of teaching us how to accept us and do us? I think it comes up to who's equipped to do this. Like, who's equipped to go to these white spaces and deal with the the shit you're going to have to deal with with a white person to teach them about us. And then the people that's just like, I can't take that. That ain't, that's not my calling. (laughs) You go teach us black people about us. Like, because you telling me to go to a white person and teach them about us, I'm going to kill one of them. Like, (laughs) it's over with. Can't do it. But there's somebody that I know that's stronger than me that can do it. Because how I'm seeing it is, if an ally is going in there right. and saying um, this, that, and a third about black culture, I feel like it's going to be portrayed as, oh, let's just take what we've learned and embrace it. And now you are taking my culture from me. Like, that's not it. That's not what we're saying. So, I don't know. That's that's interesting. I just had a question that just lost me. It'll come back. I need some shine. Um <laughs> I appreciate it. Shine your way. Um, but that that's a good question when it comes to allyship. Because um, what I think where we're getting at is we are climbing over a brick wall only to find another brick wall to climb over. And I think we've just been climbing over brick walls for so long. And I, I get, I'm, I'm going to just ask the question, do we think that we can change white society's racism and, and their psychological disposition can we change how they see us i'm asked answer your question with a question okay um you said can we can we change their their racism racism. and my question is is the desire to change their racism on black people's part or like white people is it a desire oh do they want to change do i no me as a black person Uh do i desire for white people to stop being racist I would say for me, um, yeah, I would, yeah, that would be nice. It'd be kind of nice. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, pretty nasty. I, I would, I would like for them to, 
But at this point, <laughs> history repeats itself and it's not going to happen. So at this point, it's just like, I don't care. That's my intention, I think, because the other side of the coin, we ain't going to talk about that. But go ahead. <laughs> Mm. No, that was just my thoughts. Um, I just, I. Is that your desire? I don't know. That's not my desire. What is? I am because again, my my political viewpoints are, we need to do us, Mm -hmm. and that's why I I like, I enjoy certain cultures and uprisings that we had. Mm -hmm. For instance, I really do follow the Black Panther Party mm-hmm. because it was a lot of like Oakland. bump what the system says we're going to do whatever we gotta do for our people mm-hmm. and like growing up in Oakland even though it's diverse as hell like I was the majority at my high school but it was still only 20% that ain't no damn majority but there was a pride about being black like I knew all the black kids at my school even though I didn't talk to them all every day Mm-hmm. Like, I'll never forget, for example, story time. <laughs> Bart broke down. Bro- Bart broke down from seminary to um, West Oakland, I believe. And a lot of us lived in the same neighborhood, like in the same track. So we all got on the bus together to go to school. I was like an hour and a half late to school because the Bart was down. We could only do a bus, and buses was passing because they was packed. A girl came up to me and was like, were you late today? And I was like, yeah, mind you, I knew her, but I never like hung out with her. I was a freshman. She was a senior. My school was upwards of 2000 people. So I didn't really know her, but she came and found me. She was like, all right, I'm putting in the name so they can give us our pass uh, for being late because it wasn't our fault. Mm -hmm. So the fact that like somebody out of my community came to find me, you know, in this building and community of people. To me, speaks volumes of how like we can support each other. I don't care that my English teacher wanted to mark me absent. He was a white guy. He didn't give freak. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't care what was happening. Oh, you from Oakland? If you were in Oakland, you wouldn't have to deal with this type stuff. So when when you talk about like, do I care if they're racist or not? No, because if we support each other, I'm not gonna need the support of you. Mm-hmm. If I gave my coins to the black community at the same rate that I spend it in the white community, there would be no need for me to have support of the white community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that that's the thing. It just seems like that's the answer so much. But just going back to what Stephanie said earlier and them butting their nose. Because, you know, I, I actually don't disagree. We, y'all can be racist all y'all want. Let's just, we just going to be over here and y'all do y'all. But here's the question. What are white people without black people? What is whiteness without blackness? They don't have a, a central culture. Exactly. They don't have a culture without oppressing us. They don't. So where do we go from that? Because the thing is, we we not going to, we can't have our cake and eat it too. Here's a question. Uh-huh. I, I don't mean to cut you off. No, go, you ahead, go ahead. So this is a question I wanted to ask earlier. Uh-huh. If we become separate, uh-huh. if black people form their own, do you, what is the white response to that? Fire. Mm-hmm. Pew, pew, pew. All that. Like, all that. like how does that look, though? Like, uh, can we, so, so then yeah, you're yeah. telling me, like, us as black people, even though this is our goal and dream of separating, we can't. 
Well, hold on. I think we can. We just need enough resources to make it happen. And we also probably still need some white allyship, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, to keep their cousins, you know, from coming over. You know, keep them at bay. Um, honestly, I don't want to say it's not possible. Um, I think it is possible. But I think we have to look at the threat. And the threat is they may be threatened by our freedom. I feel like white society, white folks, white institutions, white supremacy is always threatened by black and brown um, freedom and being able to have this autonomy over our lives. I think it just it's just math. You know, Mm -hmm. it just does not compute. Um, But that's what I would say about that. Mm. Good question. I'm just thinking. I'm thinking about a lot. I'm thinking about this whole conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been a great conversation. mm -hmm. And like, I don't necessarily know if this is where we had envisioned when we started, but I feel edified. um, And I feel like, one, I feel charged and challenged to go to that next level. Um, We end all of our conversations with an exit ticket charged and a reflection about this conversation. Um, And we've been talking a lot about like, desegregation and segregation and what is inclusion and versus non-inclusion assimilation versus separatism like all of these different opposing ideologies um and i'm questioning and thinking about like the definition of desegregation um desegregation um so not gonna lie this um, definition came from Google. <laughs> so just like, cause I was, so where the definition came from, I was looking up like desegregation and like in politics and the definition came up and it had me thinking. Um, and it, the underneath it, it was like, what is the meaning of desegregation? Mm-hmm. So in that meaning, it says to eliminate segregation and specifically to be free of any law, provision, or practice requiring isolation of a member of a particular race in separate units. Um, and it just got me to thinking, is desegregation actually, uh, did it actually happen? And that's mm. the question that we want to pose. Did desegregation actually happen based on this definition? The key word to me was free of any law. <laughs> Um, what is free? Listen. Listen. So, I do not think that desegregation actually happened because if I were free, me as a black woman, me as being black and a woman, but that's a whole other topic, um, then I would be able to walk, like for me personally, I'd be able to walk into any space and feel like I could be myself. And I can't be myself when I walk into white spaces. I have to put on Stephanie. I can't be Kayla. That's my middle name. Um, I have to be Stephanie, which is, hello, how are you? <laughs> nice to meet you today. Code switching, eh? Exactly. Um, and if I were free, code switching would not be a thing. So, no, desegregation did not happen. Guest? Um, I'm sorry, I'm just getting my life. <laughs> over here, you over here talking with what is free. I agree with um with Caleb. Uh <laughs> catch it. I agree. Um of course, um it's it's different from me being a man, but I'm still black, so I also can't walk into every space. 
um, and be myself, code switching is still a thing. I agree. I ultimately agree. Um, if if segre- if desegregation was a really a thing, and I'm not talking about just on paper, I'm talking about socially, I'm talking about psychologically, we would not have to code switch, and we still wouldn't have different, um, you know, school zonings, right? You, mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not uh, house zone. Yeah, house zone. It's not desegregated. If you go, you can look at Atlanta and literally Google the different zoning projects mm-hmm. and where black black lives are and where white lives mm-hmm. are, white, you know, all these things are. So I think they just put it on paper, but socially we're still segregated. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Desegregation ain't happened. I Googled it so I can know the lyrics. <laughs> but what came to my mind was Meat Mill, What's mm. Free, Ooh, right? Okay. Um, and I'm just going to hit you with the first line. It says, What's Free? Free is when nobody else could tell us what to be. Free is when the TV ain't controlling what we see. Um, and I just think about, you know, we're not. We're not in a space where I can be who I desire to be. And I think about, you said something when you were like, and as a man too, and I think about like all of our intersections mm-hmm. of like, how do I identify? Mm-hmm. And how so much of it we have to like block and mirror and like, I can't take this person into me. I can't, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's sad that like America thinks though that they've accomplished something. Right. You know, when you think about US history and you learned it, oh, slavery ended. Oh, this happened and we celebrated. But then think about how much did Ruby Bridges endure mm-hmm. to join? She like how we talked desegregation but how many of them have to go in with other people currently Kamala Harris is going through a lot of stuff she's the first right mm-hmm. and so it's just it's saddening and it's it's disheartening um but it's also encouraging at the same point because as young leaders I think we all have taken on a charge in one way or former fashion to like how can we overcome these barriers of oppression that continuously seem to enclose us and enframe our minds to think smaller than what we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really happy that like our kids that we teach have started to be more active mm-hmm. um, in advocating for ourselves. I think about like that's one of the things that every time we talk about students in one of our staff meetings, we talk about how that student advocates for themselves. Mm-hmm. And my only hope and passion is like when they leave the comforts of our school buildings and our classroom walls, that they continue to securely advocate for themselves and break down oppressions and barriers to their success. It's a thing. Mm. Y'all, let us know y'all thoughts. You know, dig into this. Think about, you know, where is this principle and ideology of desegregation still manifesting in your current practices um and professions um and let us know your thoughts yes um so we're gonna wrap it up here y'all uh be sure to check us on our socials yeah and we also have some other things coming for y'all it's gonna come out soon don't worry we got y'all um but our socials same platform it is root of the matter edu again root of the matter edu just follow us uh Join us in the comments, chats, whatever. We got y'all. We'll respond. Love y'all. Thank you, Rob, for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) We so appreciate your candor and insight. Um, Yeah, y'all. Thanks for having me on, y'all. We'll have you back.
Black people hate, put your fist up high. You a king, you a queen, you are great by design. Black people hate, put your fist up high. You'll achieve anything if you use your mind. I'm proud to be black. And that's a big fact. I'm proud to be black. And that's a big fact. I'm proud to be black. And that's a big fact. I'm proud to be black. And that's a big fact.